0: Years ago, San Diego installed more than 3,000 smart streetlights. These sensors were sold to the city on the premise that they could gather information about mobility, parking, and public safety. So far, only the San Diego police has made use of the streetlights, using the data collected to solve serious crimes. However, the program does raise questions. Where do they put them? And what groups of people could be disproportionately affected? Today is Friday, February 28th. For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. Get a deeper understanding of what's going on with these smart streetlights. We have two reporters, Terry Figueroa and Lindsay Winkley. Welcome to the show. Let's start with a little bit of background. We've talked about these smart streetlights before, but people may have not have listened to those episodes. How did these smart streetlights with surveillance capabilities get here in the first place?
1: So uh, a couple of years ago, um, there was this great plan to upgrade the streetlights around town um, with LED lights. It was going to be a huge money savings, maybe $125,000 a month. Um, and that back in December 2016, that got a thumbs up from the city council. Everybody was great with that idea. Um, fast forward a couple of, of years down the road, and it turns out that there was actually a lot more to this program that we did not really uh, understand. Um, This is about a smart streetlights program is what it's called. And what these streetlights do is they take a look at the environment around them, and they measure humidity and uh, temperature of the air and mobility. How are people, how many uh, people are walking past? How many bikes are walking past? How many cars are driving by? and so this is this was like a really cool high tech mobility. Let's let's really get some great information about the city and, and the surroundings and the urban area. To do that, they needed to have cameras in these street lights mm-hmm. and then little special sensors that can tell you, you know, what they're looking at, whether it's traffic or bicycles. But a couple of well, last year came the revelation that, hey, There's cameras in the streetlights over about 5% of San Diego's public rights away. There's about 3,000 of them, a little more than that, around town right now with plans to add another 1,000. The revelation that there were cameras in streetlights really stoked a lot of of fear and concern about uh, public surveillance And, you know, who who was watching and who was being watched more and and what was going on with these cameras? Mm -hmm. So we've been taking a closer look at that.
0: And, uh, Lindsay, can you explain the kind of journey that you went on to kind of answer some of those questions as to where are these cameras and what are some of the populations that are more or under affected by them?
2: Yeah. So obviously, this isn't the paper's first take on um, smart streetlights. We've done a fair bit of reporting. But for this story, we really wanted to focus our energy on where are they and who lives in the spaces that these streetlights exist, right? Um, So what we did was we first had to figure out where they all were. Um, which was a bit of a challenge in and of itself. Um, so we 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 ended up figuring out where most of these streetlights are, um, and then we also wanted to take a look at um, a, kind of a certain subset of streetlights, which is specifically the streetlights that had been accessed by police, mm-hmm. right? That um, because that's part of the reason why people have these kind of surveillance concerns. So we plotted all of those, and um, by plotting them, we were able to determine which. Um, census block group these streetlights landed in, and it's kind of a technical term, but essentially it just means a kind of little area within a city, usually several um, square blocks, um, to get a better sense of who lives there. Um, and so that's that's sort of what we what we did to to figure some of these findings out.
0: Mm-hmm. And I guess the biggest question: Are there racial or socioeconomic groups that are more targeted than others?
2: Targeted is not the word that I would use, but I will say bulk over like 30,000 foot finding here is that when you look at the streetlight spread across the city, um, it's pretty well distributed. But there is a little bit of overrepresentation, and underrepresentation, specifically um, the white population, white residents are a little overrepresented um, in the areas where streetlights are across the city. Um, Conversely, um, the Latino population are a little underrepresented um, in the communities where these streetlights are. However, interestingly, when you look at the streetlights that have been accessed by police, those neighborhoods you don't find that. What you find is that black residents are overrepresented in those spaces and Hispanics, who were kind of underrepresented to start with, are actually overrepresented now in the spaces where police are accessing cameras. The other thing we decided to take a look at was um, kind of a measure of um, economic activity. So we looked at household income and what we found is surprisingly well distributed throughout the city between kind of these three um, economic divisions right so households that make less than thirty thousand dollars households that make between thirty thousand and ninety nine thousand dollars and anybody who makes a hundred thousand dollars or more well any household and well distributed when you look at all city street lights but when you look at the street lights that are accessed by police you see an overrepresentation of households that make less than thirty thousand dollars
0: it seems like all of that kind of jives with what we understand things that draw crime, be it low economic status, uh, you know, less access to services. So this does kind of go into the kind of generic criminology stuff we hear about the nature of crime, right?
2: Yes. Um, I think that some of these findings do marry up pretty well with how, um, how generally we have seen not just crime and victimization, but also um, uh, the effects of surveillance affect mm-hmm. um, different spaces, and I think you know, in our story, you'll read kind of more in detail about this. But we did talk to um, an expert who wasn't really surprised at all by what we found, and said that it, it's mirrored on what we have seen. Um, in a lot of different spaces, when we take a close look, kind of a granular demographic look like we did at um, places that um, are under surveillance to, to a degree.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, Terry, can you kind of give us a sense of the community reaction to this program generally? Because questions of surveillance, particularly among minority groups, be it racial or socioeconomic, has been a flashpoint recently
1: so there has been definite pushback to this program there have been concerns raised about surveillance which by the way police are and the city is very adamant these are not live monitored live streamed cameras these are um only accessed by police um, if there is a specific reason and only um within five days of a particular crime Mm-hmm. After that, the footage goes away. um but still yes there is there is a hundred percent concern by people who are are worried about uh, over surveillance and you know are is there a disparity in where these cameras are and 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 a lot of concern, so much so that there were more than four thousand uh, of these cameras planned for around the city, more than three thousand are in that remaining thousand was slated to be put in this year but that's kind of been you know they hit the brakes on that mm-hmm. what they what the city has done is is a couple of city council members actually asked for a moratorium on finishing the job putting those final ones up um and the city has acknowledged that you know gosh we probably could have been a lot better in getting some community input in deciding where those cameras should have gone to begin with and so they're trying to do that from this point going forward mm-hmm
0: and the bill of goods that san diego was sold that this information could be used for developing apps to tell you where to park apps that tell you this is a place that's dangerous for cyclists this is where all the cyclists go because it's safe is there any development towards that kind of thing which kind of sounds like broad generic 5g is going to save us all kind of talk
1: if those apps exist um the city is not aware of any at least um from those that, that i spoke to um, they certainly, that data that they're collecting all from all of these cameras, which basically the cameras tur- um, have little magic nodes and those nodes turn this the footage into data, into hard numbers. Um, that, those hard numbers, that metadata is available to the public. So any app developer could come in and, and maybe use that data to do that. The city's not aware of any that have been developed yet at this point.
0: Yeah, but if I was a venture capitalist, that doesn't sound like the most exciting thing to develop. So I'm not really surprised those apps aren't quite there yet. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry.
2: <laughs> right. Um I did want I did want to talk a little bit more about some of the other data that we kind of we got when we were making our requests. Um you know, obviously as Terry has said quite eloquently, these sensors do a lot. They have a lot of capability. Um and you know, those have kind of sparked a varying degree of interest, but I do think that um, it's pretty safe to say that kind of the police use of these cameras has Um, generated a fair bit of inquiry. And so one of the things that we were sort of interested in is um, let's just give people some information about why these things are being used. Like what Mm -hmm. are the cases and was it helpful? So I really encourage listeners to go to our website because they can explore this really neat map that we put together that sort of shows you where all the streetlights are in the city. But then it also shows you where all the streetlights are that have been accessed by police, and if you kind of hover over those little dots, you'll be able to see what kind of criminal case the the uh, police were investigating when they decided to access those cameras, and whether or not the footage was helpful or not um, because they've sort of self-audited to determine kind of, you know, how how lucrative are these, is this capability um, for our investigators Um, and just to kind of give people like an overview, right? Um, It doesn't always help, right? I think nobody will be surprised by that. Um, It's unhelpful about 33% of the time, so um, but um, 47% of the time it was deemed critical or helpful. Um, So just some of that extra info is in there as well for people.
0: Yeah, I mean, for anything robotic, that's not bad, I guess.
2: I think it's not bad. Um, I, and, and just in case anybody else is curious too, um, they are s- mostly investigating uh, fairly serious incidents. Um, mm-hmm. Serious injury and fatal crashes, robberies, assaults with deadly weapons, homicides—like those—are the cases that dominate this list. Um, but there are some, there are some strange ones too. Uh, there was an illegal dumping case that um, Terry and I asked some questions about, um, and a couple of other things. Um, and so, I think going forward, um, it's going to be really important to kind of keep an eye on how this technology is being used.
1: And one of the other things that that we looked at. Was um, we talked to the city about how they selected where these lights go, hmm. and it doesn't sound like there was any sort of um, software program that told them, you know, there's a lot of traffic here, so let's put lights here. It was more intuitive. It at this point is what it sounds like, and the vast majority of these lights are downtown. They are are heavily clustered downtown because the city is trying to get information on mobility and there's so much denseness of mobility in downtown San Diego. And the other thing that I thought was kind of interesting, just as a side note, was that um, one factor that played into where these lights went is whether or not the infrastructure could could handle it, whether there was mm-hmm. enough voltage on a street light. That is why there are none of these lights in Balboa Park because the infrastructure wasn't there to handle what these these cameras needed.
0: Yeah, it does seem like kind of with surveillance, it only works in places where we let it. In a sense,
2: yeah, exactly. I think that, um, yeah, I think that there there were some surprises um, when when we went to kind of do this. That there was this vision, um, and then you kind of get down to brass tacks, and you realize that you don't necessarily have the kind of capabilities that you thought you did.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, so, both of you, after many months and many stories about this uh, program. What is the the SDPD's official response as to why we have these tools?
2: Yeah. Uh, well, I think that from the department's standpoint, um, the department essentially has said that they take this capability really seriously, um, and they are are really staying focused on the most impactful of crimes, things that could really um, um, could really affect public safety. And those are the things that they are using these cameras um, to um, to kind of uh, tackle. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Regarding kind of the disparity that we found in our analysis, they responded to that as well. um, And essentially and essentially said that, you know, crime is not uniform throughout the city. Um, and it makes, um, and, and that if you look kind of at a different metric, um, in addition to kind of being overrepresented within areas that have streetlight cameras. Um, black population and the Hispanic population is also overrepresented as victims of crime. And so you have almost, you know, it, they're, from their standpoint, they said it makes sense that if we're using these cameras to solve violent crimes, we're going to, we're going to come across the population of people that are most often victimized by those crimes.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like crime and data... It is what it is, and we're just seeing the same thing just reflected through different lenses.
2: Right, and yeah, and but I do think, I mean, just to kind of circle all the way back here, um, one of the things that an expert that we um, spoke to said was that it's really important to take a look at these kinds of pieces of information. Um, We don't always have the answers, right? Uh, Terry and I don't know why we see this disparity exactly, Mm -hmm. but we do know that there is one. And I think that it's really important for us as kind of a community to be aware of these things so that we can ask these questions, so that we can have a really well-rounded conversation about how we're gonna move forward with these technologies that have so many implications, not just on today's community, Community, but on tomorrow's community. And so we need to be granular. We need to be detailed so that we can have a really good understanding of um, how uh, we are changing kind of our our live and workspace for many years to come.
0: Uh, last year, the Union Tribune also looked at something similar with the Crime Counts Project, which saw that in some cases, clusters of crime are in very small po- pockets of neighborhoods and not necessarily in entire neighborhood. How do you report this project knowing the weirdness of San Diego crime? Because San Diego is strangely one of the largest cities that's also the safest, and that clearly skews any kind of data you're looking at, especially with crime.
2: Yeah, and I'm really glad that you pointed that out because um, we are so safe um, in comparison, right? Uh, Compared to any really any other big city, um, San Diego really is uh, quite lucky in the sense that we don't have a lot of uh, serious violent crime. Um, I did want to kind of get at that, though, in this story to kind of give people a sense of where these spaces are in connection with violent crime. And so this is how we did that. I'm going to try and make this as simple as possible. Um, But essentially, we kind of tallied up um, all of these granular areas, right? All of these small areas. Um, and we looked at the ones that had more than 25 violent crimes per year. Mm-hmm. Um, and let me just tell you, we don't have a lot of those, right? Um, but that's, I think, um, uh, can be, uh, n- nobody will be arguing that that is not um, a, a relatively violent area, in con- you know, kind of in comparison to the rest of the city. So we looked at all of those spaces. And then we were like, all right, how many of these areas have streetlights that have been accessed by police, right? To kind of compare the two data sets. And we found, not startlingly, that 90% of those block groups, of the block groups that were the most violent, had streetlights that had been accessed by police. Sort of conversely, uh, because we're safe, we have a lot more block groups that have fewer crimes. Mm-hmm. And we found that streetlights um, that had been accessed by police, a much smaller percentage, like 11% of these. And so to me, that sort of signals that um, you, there is some overlap, right? Um, there are you know areas that have a lot of high crime, um, are, are going to be accessed by police um, at a greater proportion than the census blocks that don't have as, as much crime.
1: So mm-hmm
0: and uh, as this is going to be a continuing issue are there any uh, public meetings or information that people can obtain in the coming months to kind of voice their opinions and ask local leaders hey we have this technology what else are you guys going to do with it
1: well the city um had actually been looking at uh, pulling together a policy as to how to govern these smart streetlights and the cameras and the technology um but when that made it to one of the city council sort of subcommittees those folks there said you know what we don't want a policy we want an ordinance and we want it to be forward looking to cover all kinds of different surveillance so that right now is is still in the in the the mix and they're trying to to craft that so i would watch for in the in the coming weeks and months for the city to be talking more about that and for that to be on the on the city council docket.
0: Terry Figueroa, Lindsay Winkley, thank you both so much.
2: Thank you. Thanks so much for having us.
0: In other news, a federal appeals court ruled Friday that the government can no longer make asylum seekers wait in Mexico as their cases wind through U.S. immigration court. The court also dealt another blow to the Trump administration's immigration policies by saying the U.S. can't deny asylum to anyone who entered the U.S. illegally from Mexico. The twin setbacks for the Trump administration may prove temporary if it appeals to the U.S. Supreme Court, which has consistently sided with President Trump on immigration and border security policies. Thanks for listening to the San Diego News Fix, which goes live weekday evenings. This podcast is produced by myself, and editing help this week came from Managing Editor Laura Sacalo, Digital Creative Director Beto Alvarez, and Business Editor Diana McCabe. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate and review us on your favorite podcast app and support our journalism by signing up for our print and digital products at uniontrib.com slash subscribe. Until next time.